0: Hi, you're listening to WBEZ's Curious City, and I'm reporter Chris Bentley. As you're probably all too aware, we're coming out of a pretty snowy winter. That means we've used a lot of salt to de-ice our roads. Enough to get this official worried. I'm a little stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely stressed out. Why is he worried? That's up ahead. But first, a story inspired by a question about what we put on our dinner plates. Let me set the scene.
1: 37. Everybody got 38.
0: It's busy at Market Fisheries in Chicago's Greater Grand Crossing neighborhood. People pull numbers and step up to order catfish or perch, while an employee behind the counter hacks up and cleans fish. Curtis Alexander is the market's manager, and he'll tell you where his fish come from. Uh, We got a Lake Superior white fish here, and we got uh, a heron. You know, I think they're both from from, uh, Lake Superior. But Alexander also sees fish caught a lot closer to home.
1: A lot of time I clean fish that people go catch from Lake Michigan. Uh, You know, you got the Yellow Lake Perch over there. You got the little bluegills, you know, uh, walleye pike, you know, bigmouth bass. There's a lot of fish that they catch from, uh, from Lake Michigan.
0: Even if you've never seen Lake Michigan yourself, you should know that there's enough fishing happening on the lake to keep Curtis Alexander busy. And there's enough that Curious City has gotten several questions about it. Here's one of those questions from Steve Ediger, who's seen people fish off a pier in his neighborhood of Rogers Park. What would it take for Lake Michigan fish to be safe to eat? Ettinger is not an avid fisherman, but he has cast a few lines, and he has friends who fish. So he's heard about pollution in Lake Michigan, and he assumes lake fish are not entirely safe. To clarify what there is to worry about, I call people who monitor fish contaminants. First up, Tom Hornshaw, a toxicologist with the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency. Among other things, Hornshaw's concerned about mercury in Lake Michigan fish.
1: The mercury tends to uh, distribute all through the body, especially in the muscle tissue, which is the fillet that people eat.
0: Mercury acts like a neurotoxin in humans and is especially bad for developing fetuses. It comes from industry and burning and storing coal. And the state worries about PCBs, too. These are polychlorinated biphenyls. PCBs were once used to insulate and cool electrical equipment. These chemicals can cause skin problems and have been linked to cancer. The federal government banned PCBs in 1979, but Hornshaw says they're persistent.
1: From minor spills, major spills, legal and illegal storage and disposal, landfills, and they have a slight vapor pressure which allows them to escape to the atmosphere, and they're carried around the world.
0: So, Steve Attaker's hunch is right in that Lake Michigan's polluted enough for scientists to monitor the fish. A lot of factors affect how much junk ends up in each fish, their size, what they eat, even how they might encounter pollutants. But are these fish safe to eat? Again, here's Tom Hornshaw from the Illinois EPA.
1: Yeah, as long as you follow the advisories that have been issued for various species of Lake Michigan fish.
0: You've heard the phrase, everything in moderation? Well, that applies to eating Lake Michigan fish, and EPA's fish advisories tell us what moderation really means. State agencies test fish for contaminants and then come up with specific recommendations. For example, take the lake trout, a popular sport fish. In Lake Michigan, lake trout have three levels of advisories. Is your trout less than 25 inches long? You could eat that size of trout once per month. The trout's between 25 and 29 inches? You can eat that size of trout six times per year. Larger than 29 inches? The state of Illinois recommends you throw it back. The state has specific recommendations for Lake Michigan perch, smelt, and other fish, too. So with mercury and PCBs and other contaminants to worry about, what's up with Steve Attiger's question about what will it take for Lake Michigan fish to be safe to eat? Hornshaw says there's one simple answer. Time. Not 10 years, he says, but less than 100. The dangerous chemicals in Lake Michigan take time to break down, but they do, eventually. There's another take on our question about fish and safety, though. I talk with Pat McCann, a fish advisory specialist with Minnesota's Department of Public Health. McCann says advisories are supposed to protect people, but it is possible to be too careful. The benefits do outweigh the risks if you eat fish that are low in contaminants. So the challenge is to get people the information about which fish are low in contaminants and get it to them in a way that's understandable and that they you know, can adopt in their normal life. McCann says eating fish can be healthy, as long as you don't exceed the advisories. Take the group of people at the center of most fish advisories, women of childbearing age. Mercury and PCBs can impair a baby's neurological development. But McCann says that doesn't mean pregnant women should avoid all fish outright. Women of childbearing age and pregnant women need to eat fish because the fish have omega-3 fatty acids and other good nutrients, and that's a good source of protein. And so those things are good for the baby. And so if they stop eating fish, then that's a negative thing. McCann is helping scientists across eight Great Lakes states incorporate the benefits of eating fish into their advisories. The bottom line on Steve Etiker's question, what will it take to make Lake Michigan fish safe to eat? It will take time for Lake Michigan pollutants to go away. And it takes you to follow the advisories on how much fish to eat and not to eat. Remember I promised we'd take up a curious city question about road salt? Well, here we go. The background is that our winter was pretty snowy, and road crews have spread a lot of salt. But how much are we talking about? So, Is this the main, the main facility?
1: So this is one of our biggest salt piles in the city. We have a total of 19 located all throughout the city. This is just one of our main ones.
0: Molly Poppy is spokeswoman for Chicago's Department of Streets and Sanitation. She shows me a salt depot on the west side. Poppy says they start each winter season with about 285,000 tons of salt. This year, we'd already used more than that by the end of January. So Chicago's been spreading loads of salt, and some suburbs spread enough that they declared road salt shortages. So it's a perfect time to answer a question from Aaron Sticker of Oak Park. Here's the aha moment that made Aaron head to Curious City's website. On my way to work, every day I pass by this ginormous salt pile. But that kind of got me thinking about... Well, if it's seeping into the ground here on this big uncovered pile, what is it doing to all the the salt that we distribute everywhere around the city? And what are those effects? In particular, Aaron was worried about the area's biggest body of water. How does the runoff of all the street salt during the winter affect Lake Michigan? Aaron's got a theory. He figures that, with all this salt thrown around, a lot of it must be washing off streets and ending up in the lake. But people I've found say, not so much. Or at least, not enough to worry about. It would require an incredible amount of road salt. When we test, it doesn't even appear. This is Thomas Powers, Chicago's water commissioner. Powers' department handles the city's drinking water, which comes from Lake Michigan. Regulators are always on the lookout for chloride pollution, which has been on the rise since the 1970s. So salt is the compound sodium chloride, and chloride is problematic. So all this road salt can make the situation worse. But, he says, lake water is well below the legal limit for chloride. That's what I hear from the EPA, too. So, to answer Aaron Stigger's question about road salt's effect on the lake, it's not a problem for drinking water, and likely not for most aquatic plants and animals either. But road salt does cause problems. No, I'm a little stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, you're absolutely stressed out. Here's what powers means. In the city, when snow melts and the runoff flows into storm drains, that water winds up in the sewer system, and all that salty water can corrode the city's subterranean network of pipes. Power says salt's especially harsh on the city's older infrastructure. We still have water mains in our inventory that are from the 1800s, the late 1800s. And once the salty runoffs in the sewer system, it eventually finds its way into other Chicago area waterways, like the Chicago River, the Calsag Channel, the Illinois River, and eventually the Mississippi. And that has scientists concerned. Chloride levels in some inland waterways have spiked as high as 1,000 milligrams per liter, twice the standard for most Illinois rivers and streams. But Chicago area waterways have their own standard. Here's an explanation from Scott Twait, who works with water quality standards for the Illinois EPA.
1: Back in the 70s, these were the only waters that were beyond
0: repair, and so they got kind of a special standards. They really had no hope for them in the future, but the waters are much cleaner now than they were. In fact, the EPA is now trying to bring Chicago area waterways in line with the rest of the state if the
1: Pollution Control Board changes the chloride standard, one of the things that we know is that we're going to have issues with chloride in the wintertime.
0: And that issue Twayt's talking about? Regulators would come up with some number, some kind of limit to chloride in Chicago-area rivers that could make cities think twice before spreading so much road salt. They wouldn't do it so much for the sake of Lake Michigan, the body of water that our question-asker Aaron Stigger worried about. Instead, there's a chance we'd cut back on road salt for the sake of the rivers that we've pretty much ignored for decades.
1: I'm Logan Jaffe, Curious City's multimedia producer. You might see me on our Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr letting you know what we've got to offer online. Right now, though, I'm looking for your help to finish a story we're in the middle of. Freedom Wall. What's that, you ask? You may remember we spoke with Chicago artist Adam Brooks... Hi there. ...about this huge art piece he made. You know, that banner that's hanging on a building in River North and has a list of names of seemingly random people on it. The Dalai Lama, Mikhail Gorbachev, John Lennon, Harvey Milk, Anwar Sadat, Henry Thoreau, Rush Limbaugh, Bell Hooks, Martin Well, King. it's called Freedom Wall. And it's the answer to a question Adam posed to the public 20 years ago. It was a very simple question. Give me the names of up to three people that you feel embody the idea of freedom, whatever that means to you. Our interview with Adam Brooks is on our website right now. But that's not why I'm here. We're creating an updated version of Freedom Wall. And we need you to submit names of up to three people you think most embody the concept of freedom. You know, like... Rosa Parks. Benito Juarez. Ronald Reagan. Barack Obama. Um, Harriet Tubman. Madonna. <laughs> Help us create the 2014 version of Freedom Wall and make your contribution to a new piece of public art. You can do that in two ways. Head to wbez.org slash Curious City and fill out our survey. Or just tweet the names with the hashtag FreedomWall14. Again, that's hashtag FreedomWall14. We'll be back in the spring with this updated digital artwork that highlights who most embodies freedom 20 years later. Thanks. The stories in this episode about fish and salt were reported by Chris Bentley. Curious City is produced by WBEZ and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Support also comes from everyone who has contributed a question at wbez.org slash like Nancy Graham.
0: What happens when a neighborhood gentrifies? What happens with all the people that aren't able to stay in the market and are forced to move? Where do they go, and does somebody help them? Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ – 89% 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.